We have a number that are visiting with us. We want you to feel welcome into our assemblies, and we invite you to come back and be with us. We, uh, it's always encouraging, and we thank you for joining us in our prayers and singing together. And now we invite you to open your Bibles with us and study together. Uh, Diane would certainly uh, be willing to attest that one of the, my greatest weaknesses is being able to get things done ahead of time. Uh, she might even say get things done, but she might put on the end of that ahead of time. But I'm not very good at getting things done ahead of time. Uh, I'm a deadline kind of guy. Uh, so when you think about the idea of what we've been doing the last couple of years of planning what you're going to preach on a whole year ahead of time and putting a theme together, uh, it's, been, it's challenging for me. Um, so we're still in the process of doing that, uh, but I have come to conclusions about what, to some extent, what I want us to do uh, and, uh, for the next year as we think about what we're going to look at, and that is we're going to talk about godliness. Uh, in a sense, there, when I thought about the topic of godliness, and that sort of came to me first, that that might be a good way to, a good th- a theme itself. <clears throat> and looking at biblical texts where we could derive that particular thought, uh, I didn't think I would be drawn to the, 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 uh, the epistles of First and Second Timothy and Titus. But as I got to look at them and, uh, and try to derive from that text uh, a way to divide it up into the year and present some meaningful lessons, I recognize that there is a lot in these particular books about the very topic that I want us to talk about, and that is uh, living godly lives. So if you'll bear with me for a few moments this morning, I want to sort of give a general introduction and overview of what we're going to look at through the year of the Lord willing, particularly looking at, uh, as an overview, these particular texts, the first and second epistles to Timothy uh, and the book of Titus. If you count the epistle of Hebrews, the Apostle Paul wrote 14 books in the, in the, in the New Testament. It's interesting to note that of those, only four of those letters were written to individuals. Uh, if you put Philemon in the mix and then you have First and Second Timothy and Titus, you recognize those are the books that Paul wrote to individuals. The rest of them were written to the churches. Now we might make the point that First and Second Timothy and those other those those personal books were also uh, deemed to be distributed, and they're written in such a way that they were to be used by Timothy to uh, to teach other people. They weren't just merely personal letters. Uh, certainly, that comes in view. But what we recognize is that when we look at these epistles that Paul wrote to individuals, they have exactly that, and that is they have a, a personal tone to them. And so we're going to try to pick up on that as we go along, and we're going to talk about the relationship that Paul had with the young evangelist Timothy and also with his companion Titus, and how the history that we find, at least some of the history that we find in the book of Acts and other places, helps us to better understand the the text itself as Paul writes the letters. But what I want to do today is sort of take a general view of these particular books and introduce to us the epistles of First and Second Timothy and Titus, primarily from the standpoint of looking at them together. Now you think, okay, Dave, you couldn't give an introduction to a single book in an hour. How can you possibly give an introduction to three books in a half an hour? Well, we're going to try to do that. We're going to, it's going to be somewhat of an overview, but what I want to do is sort of talk, talk about them together as they, are represent, as they represent our text. One way that these particular books are looked at together is sometimes they are referred to as the pastoral epistles. You may have heard that before, really, since the since the time of maybe the uh, uh, since the, the time of the 18th or 19th century. That's one of the designations that's given to First and Second Timothy and Titus. And this designation may or may not be an appropriate description from the stand from your own standpoint. 
certainly the way the world looks at these books, even the religious world looks at the, uh, at the character of these books, it doesn't really fit. There's no indication that Paul or Timothy or Titus were ever pastors or elders of a local church in the way that the Bible describes it. But these letters are the place in the Bible where we learn the most about the work and the qualification of those who would serve as appointed leaders of the Lord's church, of elders or pastors or presbyters. And we're going to look more closely at that, the Lord willing, in March, what Paul tells Timothy and what Paul tells Titus about men that are to serve. It's also in the aspect of pastoral, the idea of shepherding, to recognize that Paul, in writing to both Timothy and Titus, was providing for them some shepherding, was certainly was providing them guidance so they could learn how to be the leaders that God would want them to be. So you can decide for yourself whether or not that's the best way to look at them. What I want us to notice, though, is that even in general religious thinking, these three books are linked together or they are grouped together, sometimes in study. And sometimes that's a question uh, that we all, that we'll talk a little bit about about what that why that actually takes place or what we're going to focus a great deal of attention on somewhat this morning is what's the common ground. But there's some preliminary questions about these books that we probably know already and that we'll just introduce as we begin it. When I ask the question, "Who wrote the books?" Then you know the answer to that, correct? The Apostle Paul wrote First and Second Timothy and wrote Titus. It's interesting that as easy as that particular answer comes to our minds, that these three epistles are some of the most uh, contested epistles of the New Testament in terms of authorship. There's a great deal of modern scholarship that says that these books were not written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, The problem with taking that position, of course, is that that's precisely the opposite of what these particular books or letters uh, describe for themselves. 1 Timothy 1, verse 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to Timothy, a true son. When he writes the second letter, he starts by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to Timothy, a beloved son. And when Paul then writes to Titus, he introduces the letter by saying, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle to Titus, a true son in the faith. So Paul wrote all three of these letters, at least the the books themselves attest to the fact that Paul is the author of these letters and that he writes them to these individuals from the standpoint that he is one who is older, who has probably been involved in the conversion of these men, and he he, he sees himself as being their spiritual father. So Paul wrote them, whatever you, want to disc- whatever you want to look at and consider in terms of the textual criticism. I'll let other people sort of uh, haggle that out. I find it very comforting to recognize that, uh, that uh, the, the scriptures themselves say that Paul is the author of the books uh, and that the particular authorship of Paul was never disputed until the 1800s. The ancient writers clearly indicated uh, that these letters were attributed to Paul and they had no problem with saying uh, over a long period of time. That was the origin of these letters. Well, another question that comes to mind is, is when were these letters written? And again, we may see these questions as somewhat being uh, academic or what difference does it make. But those who criticize not only the authorship of the book but criticize the authenticity of these particular books many times make the claim that the historical elements of the book of Acts do not match up with what's said in these books when Paul writes to these individuals, both Timothy and Titus, uh, in, uh, individually. Uh, what we recognize is when we put those things together that there is no contradiction. Uh, what we recognize the book of Acts does not give all the history of either Paul the Apostle or of Timothy or of Titus. That the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison in Rome in his first imprisonment, but it, so it assumes that, uh, the rest of the text of these, particularly these particular epistles and other places, would have us to recognize that there was uh, a, there were further journeys of Paul that he was released from prison after 
the events of Acts chapter 28 uh, and that he as well interacted with both Timothy and Titus after that time. But Paul wrote, uh, what we can recognize, I think, about the writing of the book is that Paul wrote 1 Timothy after his relief from his first imprisonment. This is accounted to us in the book of Acts about 62, uh, 63 A.D., and Macedonia. Shortly after that, he wrote Titus, maybe even the same year, wrote to Titus. Um, and then later, uh, maybe somewhat later, after he was imprisoned again the second time, he wrote the letter to Timothy, second letter to Timothy, about 67 AD. And what we recognize about 2 Timothy and all of these letters is that these are probably the last writings of the Apostle Paul uh, in all of the New Testament. So they give us an insight into the, into the mind of the Apostle. At, his, at a later time of his ministry. It also helps us to be able to, as we're going to study together throughout the year, to see Paul's uh, uh, concern uh, cons- about the apostasy that was coming and about the things that were going to happen to the Lord's church and about, how about these men whom he's writing to in Timothy and Titus uh, would be key elements in being able to uh, forestall that apostasy and be able to deal with uh, the, the, the people of the Lord's church uh, in a faithful way. One of the things I want us to mention here, and that we're going to spend some time on, is what, what do these epistles share in common? And again, that may be seeming, seeming to be a question that's not, uh, not really all of that important, somewhat academic in terms of understanding what we're going to look at. But I think it is, it is important from the standpoint of seeing that, that, that all three of these epistles and all three of these letters follow a same vein or focus to which we're going to follow ourselves in terms of understanding how godliness is produced, understanding what the process is by which people become godly individuals. And that's one reason why I think we can group them together as we're going to do in our study. Well, why are they connected? Well, all were written to individual Christians. We mentioned that. They're all written to instruct the evangelist on the character and responsibilities of his work. If we decide what's the main focus of the writing of Paul to Timothy and why did Paul write to Titus? We would have to come to the conclusion that he wrote to both of those individuals because they were individuals who were going to preach the word. They were evangelists who, were, who had taken on that responsibility. And that they were very important to Paul. They were key, key companions with him as he went about his travels. They saw his suffering. They saw his personal uh, life. And they became uh, mentored by Paul in a very special way. Some suggest that Timothy and Titus were apostolic representatives to the early church in the places they were. Timothy and Ephesus uh, Titus elsewhere, um, in Thessalonica and other places. The idea here that Paul would appoint individuals or put people in certain positions, uh, places, in order to uh, make known the apostolic message in his behalf doesn't, uh, I think, certainly w- uh, make sense in some respects. And that's, the suggested, that's not to suggest that Timothy was an apostle or was a junior apostle. But what we recognize is that Paul had laid his hands upon Timothy. He had the ability, he had, he had ability to exercise certain gifts, and certainly he was an individual who understood the scriptures. What we recognize is both Timothy and Titus were given specific instructions about things that they were to do. They were given specific duty instructions concerning the organization of the church, the appointment of elders. Paul told Titus to set things in order and to make, things, uh, make sure that things were done properly. And so we often go to the books of 1 and 2 Timothy, or at least 1 Timothy and Titus, when we begin to discuss the qualifications of elders and deacons. We're going to look at what men that should be appointed to those tasks or those responsibilities. That's the scriptural basis from which we find most of the information about that. What sometimes we fail to do is to go to 1 and 2 Timothy or Titus to discuss the qualifications of evangelists. 
and what we re- and what we have to recognize when we look at that is there's probably as much or more about the responsibilities and the roles and the duties of an evangelist in these books as there is about elders and deacons. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul told Timothy, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Paul was speaking directly to this young man and saying, This is the way you ought to act, and this is what you ought to do. I remember when I, uh, early on when I first started preaching and we we had a class and when I was in Cincinnati we had a, 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 a sort of a preacher's gathering where we would get together once a month and the older preachers with the younger preachers and at that time, I know you can't believe it, but at that time I was a younger preacher. I was one of the, the fellows that was coming to learn uh, and men like Wayne Chapel and Robert Welch were there and they would, and would talk about, uh, the, about what we were to do as a preacher uh, and when it came to, do, came to the aspect of what we would study, uh, one thing that came obviously to mind is that we should study these epistles. And so we did several occasions study First and Second Timothy and Titus. And I remember uh, as well Robert Turner telling me when I was talking to him about uh, some years ago about being a preacher. And there again, he was the older guy and I was the younger guy. That's kind of different now. But he was the younger guy. He was the young, uh, and and he was. I was asking him questions about uh, how do you how do you know what the preacher's supposed to do? Where the, where's the manual for being an evangelist? And he told me, he says, David, you need to read First and Second Timothy and Titus two or three times a year. So you need to read it and then read it again and then read it again because that's written to you. And I took that to heart from the standpoint of I didn't, I failed to read it as much as he wanted me to read it and no doubt as much as I should. But I took that to heart to understand that that's really what was involved here between Paul and Tim, Timothy and Paul and Titus. is that there was a job to do for these, for these men to do. And Paul was very much concerned about whether or not they would follow the apostolic pattern, whether not, not, not only just that they would follow what Paul wanted them to do, but whether or not they would do the job the way God wanted them to do. And so he was revealing specific information to them as to how they were to do this, that they were to be individuals, you see, who didn't quarrel or strive about meaningful words. He calls on them to be examples to the flock, uh, to preach and exhort and rebuke with all long suffering, to stand up and be heard. Be individuals who could teach the truth in love without, uh, without gendering contention. And writing to Titus as well, he calls on him to preach and remind the people of their responsibilities. Set these things into their minds. Exhort and rebuke them. And so there's throughout this book, these books exhortations to those who would take the word of God to others. Now, you say, well, what's that got to do with me? I'm not a preacher. Well, Certainly the, the very principles on which the gospel will be preached, whether it's from a pulpit or around a kitchen table or wherever it might be, the principles apply. And that is the word of God is to be taught with all its fervency and all its completeness, yet done in such a way that it becomes a, appealing and a, a, applicable to individuals. And more, maybe most important of all, that the teaching, the didactic teaching of the word of God is to be supported and backed up and validated by the life of the one who's doing the teaching. And that's what Paul was telling Timothy. You've got to be a godly person. You've got to exercise yourself unto godliness. And so we'll try to make some of those connections. But another element of this, I think, maybe that when we ask the question, what do these epistles share in common? Clear connection is their common focus on the personal relationships and responsibilities of the Christian as a member of the collective church. And this is where this idea of godliness comes in that I want us to focus our attention on, the Lord willing, this, this year. Paul expressed to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar in the ground of the truth. 
You know, there's sometimes that we find in people's writings or maybe in constitutions at different places there are purpose statements. A fellow starts a company and he wants everybody to know what, what the company is all about, so he writes a, a purpose statement. If there is a purpose statement in Paul's first letter to Timothy, and maybe even all the things he said to Timothy, it might very well be this. What Paul is doing is telling Timothy, this is why I'm writing you. This is why I'm communicating to you, so that you might know, and others who you teach might know, how to conduct themselves in the house of God. Now, he uses the word ought here, which indicates that what Paul is talking about is a certain behavior that God expects, that there's a certain behavior that God expects because of someone is in the house of God. Now, the house there is not the building. He's not talking about how we ought to act when we come to, this, come to this building. The house is also translated by the word household, or in some translations, even family. And that's the point that Paul is making to Timothy, is that God has a family. He has a people that are related to him, that belong to him. He is their father, and they are his children, and we are together as brothers and sisters. And because we are in this unit, because we are in this house, then we are to act a certain way. We are to have a certain behavior. So Paul provides instructions, what he refers to specifically as doctrine, concerning the character and the activity of both men and women in the church, pointing out that they have different roles, that they have different responsibilities in regard to teaching and to leadership. He points out the way they are to regard one another, even from the standpoint of their age, and older men and younger men and older women and younger women. He talks about as well in the context of this the aspect of conducting themselves in terms of being examples to one another and, and being able to correct those who are opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we deal with problems as they arise. And so the idea here that God's people exist in a unit, that they belong to a family, and that that family necessarily invokes upon them responsibilities is the purpose by which Paul, for which Paul is writing to this young evangelist. The same purpose appears as well in 2 Timothy, where he says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Christ depart from iniquity. What Paul, what Paul would say to Timothy again is that God has a special people. He knows those who belong to him, and because they belong to him, then they need to depart from iniquity. Now, that principle is not you see, unique to Paul's writing to Timothy. We find that elsewhere in Paul's writings and in apostolic teaching, that there is a body, and the body is to be united together, and because we're body connected to the head, we're to follow the head, and that we are a family born together with responsibilities to act as brothers and sisters, and that we are individuals, you see, that, belong to, that, that are to be drawn together and united together through a common teaching. And look at what Paul wrote to Titus. When Paul left Titus in Crete, he instructed him to set things in order, he says, uh, that, that were lacking, which include the appointment of overseers. He talked about the aspect they need to stop the mouths of those who subvert the church through false teaching. And Paul commanded Titus to speak things which are proper for sound doctrine. Now, the admonition there to preach things which were fitting or according to sound doctrine was based upon the clear, the clear principle that truth was objective. That what Paul had revealed and already been preaching himself, what the Holy Spirit had given to Paul to speak and teach to Titus and Timothy, were things that had come from heaven and could not be changed or were not to be in any way altered. That they are to speak the same message that had always been spoken. But the idea of sound here has to do with healthy. The word itself means healthy. The idea of that which would promote health. And so... 
really what Paul's telling Timothy and Titus both is that there's a certain teaching and doctrine that's going to make God's family healthy and keep them together. That these things and these these things are not to be deserted. They are not to be turned away from or abandoned. And 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul tells Timothy, get that up here. Yeah. Paul tells Timothy to instruct the brethren in, these, in the things that had been revealed to him. Uh, let me just read that passage. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. You might recognize those words are the title of our theme, to train toward godliness, some translations say, or exercise toward godliness. Now what I want us to notice in this particular passage that is found in the middle of the first epistle, Timothy, is that it's based upon a foundational principle that Paul's going to establish throughout these books and even in the book of Titus as well. And that is that godliness can only be attained through the teaching of the truth. That if there is a character that the Christian is to have, if there is a conduct that he is to have as he behaves himself in the church of God, a way that God's people are to live their lives, and that's what godliness is, it's based upon the foundation of preaching and teaching the truth that God has revealed. And so that's what he tells Timothy. If you, you, if you teach the things that I have taught you, you will prove yourself to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. And you will be nourished yourself in the words of truth. So what Paul tells Timothy first, this is for you. You want to do your job as an evangelist? It begins by taking the truth and teaching it to others, being careful to teach just what's been revealed, and you yourself will be nourished in the words of faith. In the next verse, he call, the apostle calls on Timothy to train himself toward godliness. So the principle then certainly is in, in view that the only pathway to godliness is the words of doctrine. Just as one person might, must eat the right food and exercise themselves in order to be physically healthy. Sound churches are not based upon one particular issue or another particular issue. A sound church is not defined by its particular position on any particular issue, but whether or not the individuals within that church are nourished in the words of faith, holding true to the words of faith, and exercising in their lives godliness. That's how the New Testament would use the term sound or healthy as it applies both to people individually and churches corporately. And that's what I want to talk about. That's what I'm hoping we're able to talk about and to be able to study from Paul's words to Timothy is that there is a message out there. There is a gospel. There is a word, sound words, that we are to strive to understand and to apply. Another way I think that we recognize this in terms of the writings of these books is that Paul would tell Timothy and Titus both the gospel is not just another word, but it is the only word. And that the gospel holds a unique place, not only in the salvation of the individual, but in the responsibility of the church and of those who would lead the church. And so another common element of these epistles is the unique place of the gospel of Jesus Christ in terms of the ability of the individual to guard it or to hold on to it. You know, what was Paul's and God's expectation toward Timothy and Titus? And as it applied to us when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, as Paul ends the first epistle, he says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust 
Avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. See, Paul's concerned about this young man, as any older preacher would be about a younger preacher, one whom he's driving to lead in the right way. He says in words of endearment, Old Timothy, be careful here. You need to guard what was committed to your trust because there's other fellows out there, you see, who have strayed from the faith by professing something that's not been revealed by the Holy Spirit. So Paul depicts the gospel as a trust. The word there sometimes is translated deposit. that was given to Timothy that was to be guarded. The words in the text committed to your trust translate, interestingly enough, from a single Greek term that is used only by Paul in the letters that he writes to First and Second Timothy and to Titus. It translates as deposit because what it particularly points to is the image of something you deposit in the bank for safekeeping. So you got to check, and you don't want to lose it. You don't you want to make sure you have it later on. So you can take it down. And you you put it in the safe deposit box. So you put it into your you deposit into your account, and you're hopeful that when you go back, it'll still be there. And the idea then is that Paul entrusted Timothy with something. Or maybe more applicable, the idea that Timothy was given a deposit to be held on to, to be, you see, guarded. And what was that that was to be guarded? What is it that was entrusted to Timothy? Well, I believe certainly it was what we've been talking about here. It was the gospel itself. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, Hold fast the pattern of sound word which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. See, there's what it was committed. That's the second time he uses the word, the, the phrase there, committed to you. And he says, you've been given something that's valuable, something that you are to guard and to hold on to. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the message Paul had presented through the Holy Spirit. They confirmed the young evangelist not only by being with Paul and seeing him preach it in different places and Timothy himself and Titus being involved in preaching it to other individuals, but even through the physical manifestation of the miraculous manifestation of the Holy Spirit that was given to them by the laying on of the apostles' hands that this is the message that comes from God. This is not just any word. This is the word. And that the danger in all of that, not seeing that, was that they would preach some other gospel that something else would be taught to people. That something else would be committed to someone. And what would be was entrusted to them would be lost. We're going to consider some of these passages and others like them more specifically later on. In fact, January, our first look at, uh, at dividing this up, I suppose, into some of the uh, principles that we'll look at and patch we'll look at has to do with uh, where Paul's statement to Timothy early on when he tells him there to make sure that nobody teaches any other gospel. So we're going to talk about the unique place of the gospel of Jesus Christ and holding true to it. But I'm going to suggest to you that as we go through this, we're not going to be able to put too much emphasis on the place of the apostolic message in the function of the church or the development of personal godliness among us. There's a whole bunch of people in religion that are concerned with behavior, that are concerned with church function, that are put their emphasis on whether or not churches will grow and whether or not they will be able to do the work that they want to do who leave the Bible behind, who have no real desire to follow what the Scriptures say, do not put any emphasis on the text of the Scriptures, all that they do and all that they focus on in terms of being able to accomplish those goals comes from their own thinking or the teachings of men or the philosophies of men or looking around and seeing what others are doing. 
And as prevalent as that is, I would suggest you would begin this study. That is not where the apostle takes Timothy. And that's not what these books teach. That underlining the foundation, underlining all that we're going to look at throughout this year in the books of First and Second Timothy and Titus is that there is a single objective message, apostolic message given by the Holy Spirit, and we cannot abandon it. We must stay with what the scriptures actually teach. We must hold fast the pattern of sound words. So we can easily trace the tragic results that have transpired when individuals were entrusted with the word of God and failed to guard it against false teaching. Paul told the elders of Ephesus when he met with them at Miletus, the apostasy will come from among you. Wolves will arrive and will rise up from among your own selves and draw disciples away. You must hold on to what I've given to you that I have presented to you the whole counsel of God and I commend the truth to you because it will be able to build you up. Do not go away from this message. Paul saw it coming. And so he did when he talked to Timothy about that as well. In chapter 3 of the first epistle he told him perilous times were coming when men would itching ears would look to find something else that would please them rather than holding on to the message. He said that they would be lovers of themselves and lovers of money and boasters and proud and blasphemers and disobedient to parents and unthankful and unholy and unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. You know, we read those passages, no doubt you've read them before. And we look at all those descriptive terms about the character of people and realize, yeah, I know, I know folks like that. I know society like that. I look around, I see it along me every day, people that only do what they want to do for themselves. They don't care about anybody else. They're haughty, they're headstrong, they're manipulative. That's the way of the world. That's the reality of it. It is important that we understand the reality of it, but there's something beyond that that's involved in the impetus of Paul's statement here, and that is the reason why it exists. And among God's people, the answer to it is not human philosophy. It's not changing the government or making sure we get the right people in the presidential offices or on the Supreme Court. It's not political maneuvering that will cause these things to be solved in people's lives. It is the pattern of sound words written in the hearts of individuals and the exercising of the godliness of applying these things to our personal lives that these things can be dealt with. So Paul says they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. They may even appear to be godly people or try to say that they are godly people, but they've denied the very source of that godliness because they've turned away from the message that's been delivered. That's what Paul says he he says, want Timothy to make sure he does not do. You hold fast to that message. The power of godliness is the gospel message. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's that which turns the hearts of individuals back to God. and makes them so that they are approved unto God, not to be ashamed. So we'll look at some of these things that, that relate to that as we go through the Lord willing a study of these books. And I invite you to read... Uh, Ken told me the other day, he said, you know, that's not, that's not very much reading. We could read that every week. I think that's good advice. <laughs> First, Second Timothy, Titus, not that many verses. Read it every week. Um, and if you do that, you'll, not, you'll probably be way ahead of me in being able to understand what's involved in those. And maybe you'll be way ahead of me in the things that I'm going to present to you as being uh, found in those verses. 
uh, one thing I did find in trying to put some of this together is that I thought I usually divide it up into a monthly focus so that we each month we're focused on a particular text or an idea. Uh, sometimes that's easier than others. When I first sat down, I think I had 22 uh, different verses that, of these particular passages I wanted to look at a principle. So uh, we're not going to get through all of them, and we may devi deviate a little bit from what is our monthly focus to look at other passages. There's a lot here, I think, that Paul writes to Timothy, whether it applies to those who are going to be evangelists, but more specifically, even as those of us who desire to be godly people and to exercise and train ourselves to godliness. Inherent, I think, to the proper understanding of the epistles is a familiarity with the men to whom these were addressed. So in a future lesson, I want to talk about Timothy and Titus, the individuals that were involved in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and why he would write to them, why he would give them this attention, and why he would say the things that he did. We'll look at their contribution to the work on behalf of the Apostle Paul uh, and on behalf of Christ. But Timothy and Titus were children of God. They were not just sons of Paul spiritually. They were sons of God spiritually. And they were individuals who'd come to understand the implications of the gospel to their own lives. They were different. Timothy was a Jew and had been brought up in the time of his mother and his grandfather, the teachings of the old law. Titus was a Gentile coming out of the world, unknown to the, to the aspect of the covenant that God had made with Israel. And yet both of these young men set their, set their lives on a course to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Different backgrounds yet all having the same focus. Both of them committed to the same work. And so we stand today as individuals that are diverse in terms of where we came from and our backgrounds. Yet we are the family of God. We are the household of God united together in the gospel message. If you're not a Christian, we want you to join that particular family. We want you to come to understand wherever you've come from and whatever you've done in your life that the blood of Jesus Christ is the answer to your spiritual salvation. The things you've done in your life, however bad they might be, however far away you've gone from God, as you come to know what God wants you to do, don't be despairing because God is not going to, nor ever has, expected you to work off that which you've done that's wrong or to pay the price for your own sin. Jesus did that on Calvary. Your obligation to him is obedient faith. Trust in the sacrifice of Jesus. You'll come and be united with him. And turning away from sin and dying to sin, you'll be united with him and being buried with him in water for the forgiveness of sins and united with Christ, you'll be raised to walk in a new life. Can we help you do that? Let's stand and sing.